You know, every time I, I come to Cambon Church, I think because it's home for me, and you all, I consider you all to be part of my family, I feel like singing a John Denver song. Oh, it's good to be home again. Those of you who are old will know it. Seriously. This is the second Sunday of Easter. In the old, old days gone by, particularly in the Eastern churches, the second Sunday of Easter was always known as Holy Humor Sunday. The idea was to carry on with the theme of the good news which was celebrated last Sunday. Jesus was dead. Now he's alive. Hallelujah. The women went to the tomb in despair. And they came away in delight. It was good news. Holy Humor Sunday was supposed to be God's idea of a joke upon the powers of evil and death. It's like the psalmist says, he sits in heaven and laughs at the foolishness of humanity and any other force that might want or seek to thwart his divine purposes. Now, in churches, most churches, it's very rare to reach a consensus. Much less so in an ecumenical setup like this one of yours. So I wish you good luck in your AGM. But if I were to ask you to write down one word which comes to your mind, if I mention the name Thomas, the answer would be unanimous. Doubt. So closely have we associated this name, Thomas' name, with doubt that we have actually coined a phrase to describe him. Doubting Thomas. But I wonder, is this a fair characterization? When Jesus wanted to go to Jerusalem after his friend Lazarus passed away. Most disciples said, oh no, we can't go there. We will be killed. Surprisingly, it was Thomas who said, then let us go so that we may die with him. It was a very courageous statement. And yet we do not remember him for that. It's also telling that the story that gives Thomas the, his famous nickname is the same story we have Thomas making a nerve-shattering confession of faith. My Lord and my God. Not teacher, not Messiah. No, not Savior. Uh-uh. My God. It is the only place in all the scripture that Jesus is described as God without any qualification. Now, surely 
These are not the words of a doubt, are they? Interesting enough, history has chosen to remember Thomas only for this particular one incident when the resurrected Christ came into a room and found his disciples, but Thomas was absent. We don't know where he had gone. And when Thomas was told that the reason Christ was here, he refused categorically to believe the incident. Who knows? Maybe he was the forerunner for modern day cynicism. Or maybe the news was just too good to be true. He said, unless I put my hands in his wounds, I shall not believe. Now, we notice that Thomas had absented himself during this appearance of Jesus. And his solitude, in his solitude, he means he missed the Christ appearance. Now, I think John, in his usual way of playing with symbolism and allegory, is trying to tell us that the resurrected Christ quite often than not appears in the family of a community we call a church. And when we separate or distance ourselves from the church, then we take a risk of missing his unique presence. But that was not the end of the story. The second time when Jesus appeared to his disciples, Thomas was there. And this time he witnessed the event. This time he believed. Now as 21st century disciples of our Lord, what can we learn from the story and the life of Thomas? There are many lessons. And I'm sure each one of us can come up with some. But I'm going to share with you three lessons. Number one, we should not condemn other people when they express doubt. Quite often, the church has always branded doubt as heresy and squashed it. But Christ never condemned Thomas. Because Christ knew somehow when Thomas has worked out through his doubt, he would become a very strong and important cog in his ministry. And he did. Church tradition has it that St. Thomas died somewhere in India, having completed a very successful ministry. Nowadays, we live in a world of... Thomases, doubters, disbelievers, atheists, secularists, you call them what you like. 21st century atheists like Richard Dawkins occupy public platform and they take shots at the church just because it's a soft target. Now, while I'm honestly and fiercely opposed to anybody who attacks the church because it's a soft target, I am equally very cautious about people who say they have no doubt. People who seem to be too sure about their theology, their faith, about where they are. Now I suggest to you this morning that anybody who puts themselves beyond doubt puts himself above Jesus Christ. On the cross, our Lord said, 
Father, why have you forsaken me? My point? At a crucial moment in Jesus' life, he too experienced doubt. Authentic faith begins with intellectual honesty. And doubt is the bedrock of honesty. Let me put it another way. Faith is not the absence of doubt, but the ability to overcome it. I suffered serious doubt two years ago when my mother passed away. And as I stood by her graveside, I silently thought, is this it? Is resurrection a reality? Or is this all a myth designed to keep us and comfort us from those dark and lonely moments of night? Will I see my mother at the end of time? And then I remembered that it was Lord Alfred Tennyson who said, there exists more faith in honest doubt than in half the creeds. Second thing we learn from Thomas' life is that the most endearing things in life can never be proven. Jesus told Thomas, Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen but still believe. Now, I don't know how that statement makes you feel. But it's of great importance to me. It's an integral component of my faith. Without it, I don't have a faith. Because Jesus is speaking to me directly. You and I will probably not see Jesus during our lifetime here on earth. We will not have the opportunity to put our hands in his fingers, in his wounds. It will never be proven to you and me that Christ rose from the dead. And Jesus knows this. He understands that it is more difficult for me and you to believe than it was for Thomas. And for this, he considers me and you righteous and blessed. And the third thing, final thing, the life of Thomas can teach us is that we need to move from doubt to faith. It's okay to doubt. It's healthy. But you must learn, if we want to grow in our discipleship, we must learn to stop doubting and grow in faith. When John Wesley was a young chap student, he was racked with doubts and apprehensions in his life. And he went to his friend and mentor, Peter Bola, and laid his soul bare to him. And when I read Peter Bola's response to John Wesley, when I was a student, it didn't make sense to me. But over time, the wisdom of his response makes sense. Bola told Wesley, 
preach faith until you have it, my brother. And because you have it, you will preach it. In other words, act as if you have already overcome doubt into faith. And because you're acting it out, you will start behaving as if you have faith. And the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King just qualifies it beautifully. He says, faith is taking the first step even when you cannot see the entire staircase. This is the stuff visionaries and missionaries are made of. This is a kind of an attitude which is required of a church. This is the kind of attitude this church, Cambon Church, had about 10 years ago. There was an empty plot here. And you people saw an empty plot, but you saw beyond an empty plot. And you saw a church. And you started behaving and acting as if it were so. You started fundraising and campaigning and thinking, this is where the church is. The result? You have a beautiful worshiping building and a very good fellowship. May it continue to grow. But the work is not finished. Every Sunday, Christians all over the world like us and everywhere else, and you here, you come here to meet and to look in faith into the heart of God. You don't come to worship a physical God here, but you come to worship a God whom we perceive through the power of faith. Undoubtedly, there will be days and times when you experience doubts, grief, anguish and disappointment and when you experience those your hold on God and your faith will falter when this happens allow me to suggest something for you never ever doubt in the dark what the Lord promised you in the light I'll say that one more time Never doubt in the dark what God promised you in the light. These spiritual moments of light are what sustains us through those dark nights of grief and doubt in our life. In a moment of light, God has promised that he will never desert us. He will never desert us. Do not ever doubt that. In a moment of light, God has told us that he has plans. Plans to prosper us and not plans to harm us. Do not ever doubt that. In a moment of light, God has told us that he came so that we may have life and have it to the full. Never doubt that. In a moment of light, God has told us that resurrection is a reality. Never ever doubt that either. You will, on a momentarily or even a daily time, need to live by faith. And that is why God has called us a people of faith, to live by faith. The things of heaven, my brothers and sisters, cannot be proven here on earth. They need to be believed. My prayers 
for every one of us is that our God of endless possibilities will give us the grace and faith to move from doubt to believing. This Easter and always. Amen.